Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we will study God's Word. God is good. But it isn't that God is good as something that we can uh, admire or appreciate, but the fact that God brings his goodness to us. It's focused on us because God loves us. Good morning. My name is Randy Young. I am the transition lead pastor at this church. Uh, which church is this? <laughs> Peninsula Covenant Church. And I'm very glad and to be here. This morning I am going to offer a message that was re- that's going to be really different than last week's. Uh, we're going to look at uh, Paul and his uh, message on in Acts 26. He also did it in Acts 20, and it's a testimonial kind of a message. There are exegetical messages, there are inspirational messages, there are um, types of messages that would be considered testimonial. And it's just my sense that, that you, the people of PCC, ought to know a little bit about the guy who's been asked to lead you uh, into the uh, rest of this year. And so I think uh, I'm, I want to tell you my story. And uh, with that in mind, let's uh, read uh, from Acts 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify if they are willing that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise of our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God night and day. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of those journeys... I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, 
I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Open our eyes that we may see you clearly. And I pray that you will hide me behind you because I know it is you whom they have come to hear. And the people of God said, Amen. My story. I was born and raised in Colinga, California. Great place to be from. <laughs> if you don't know where Colinga is, it is halfway between San Francisco and Los Angeles, which actually makes it the metropolitan center of California. And Pasadena and Redwood City are just suburbs of Colinga. <laughs> I have an older sister, she, Victoria, who's four and a half years older than me. Uh, mom and dad, my dad had a grocery business. I grew up in a grocery store. I started working when I was six years old for 10 cents an hour. <laughs> dusting the bottom shelves of the, uh, of the grocery store because that was the only thing I could reach. My parents uh, raised my sister and me to, um, to assimilate into American culture. It was their point of view that we are Americans. We live here, and we are Americans who just so happen to be Chinese. And so what did Americans do back in the 50s when I was being raised was that there were a whole lot of people who went to church. So being Americans, we went to church, or should I say my sister and I walked to church, which was two and a half blocks away. The closest church was Presbyterian, and that's why, how I ended up being Presbyterian. It wasn't because I, it was some theological reason. It's because I just so happened to go to a Presbyterian church at that time. Well, I figured out that uh, if this began to question when uh, I was 12 years old, if this is so important then why aren't mom and dad going? It was a time of, uh, in, the, uh, in the United States in which there was the NFL on Sunday mornings, but there was only one game. And it kicked off at 10 o'clock, and it ended at 1 o'clock. Sunday school began at 9.45, which meant I never saw an NFL game on Sunday mornings unless I ran home from church uh, after uh, when it was done at noon. Well, Excuse me. So I thought if it's not that important to mom and dad, I'll just sleep in late enough so I didn't have to go to Sunday school. But I was up soon enough to catch the kickoff. <laughs> Smart, huh? So that's what I did for about four years. I dropped out of the church. And then uh, one spring, in my sophomore year, my mom said, hey, would you like to go to Malibu? I'm thinking, man, I'm a red-blooded American boy. Malibu, sun, beach, girls, 
Bikinis. Yeah, I'm all in on that. What I didn't know is that she was talking about the Malibu Club that's owned by Young Life. (laughs) Which is in British Columbia. A long ways from sun and sand. But there were plenty of girls because there were two girls for every boy who went to that camp that year. So I didn't complain a whole lot. I met up with a bunch of kids, uh, mostly from Lafayette or Renda. They had sent more than 100 kids from there. Uh, I was, uh, uh, we were given uh, 20 spots uh, from Kalinga. Turned out that I was spot number 20. So I barely got up there, went, o- went up with a bunch of kids I didn't particularly like. But I was literally loved into the kingdom. I had such a great time. I wasn't guilted into the kingdom. I wasn't shamed into the kingdom. I was loved into the kingdom. And I thought, man, if this is what heaven's like, man, I want a part of that. And so I turned my life over to Jesus Christ and said, I will follow you anywhere, wherever you lead. And for the longest time, I thought I was going to be in young life because I thought, this is great. You spend all your time at camps and Uh, being with kids and staying young uh, until I met up with a bunch of other people who kind of convinced me that the front edge of ministry really was the local church. Because you get high schoolers until they graduate and then they're gone. So I was a happy camper after uh, saying yes to Jesus. And it seems that uh, that's sort of the good news that we present in America. You follow Jesus and life is going to be good. But that isn't always true. Fast forward my life to early uh, 1990s. Not not 1900s, I'm not that old. (laughs) I was pastor at a church in Marysville, Washington, There was an opening for a new church development pastor in San Diego. And uh, I had gotten my uh, doctorate in new church development. And I really wanted this job. They uh, interviewed seven people for that job, brought each one of us in on a different weekend. The process was that they were going to narrow it down to three and bring the three back for further interviews. And then they would choose among the three. I thank God that I was one of the three, and I'm excited. I'm going, this is my next place. This is where God wants me to be. This is where I'm going to use my gifts, and great things are going to happen. And then I just never heard from them. It turned out that one person withdrew his name, and they were down to two. And they just simply chose the other person, which was really crazy because that's not what they told me they were going to do. And so I wrote the man who kind of championed me through that process. I said, what in the world happened? Because I know I didn't do anything to, you know, compromise my opportunity. That was in the beginning of September. I got a letter from him on Christmas Eve day. And he said, in short, in fact, I have this um, letter I have framed it, 
looks like that. It's on my wall of my office, right by my door, and I see it every time I leave my office. You can't read it, but I know what it says. Because in it, it said, he said to me uh, that for one woman, if not two, my ethnicity became a problem. I'd never expected that. Put me in a dark hole for five months, wondering what in the world is this really the Church of Jesus Christ? It's San Diego of all places. Come on. I finally came out of it. I didn't really learn the reason until maybe eight, nine years later when I was invited to be a part of Fuller Theological Seminary here in Northern California. Something that I never anticipated, that I never didn't even look to want, and yet I have this amazing opportunity to serve God uh, at a graduate school level. And for that, I am grateful. You see, one of the things about following Jesus is that it isn't all good stuff afterwards. One of my my seminary profs when I was going through Fuller was a woman by the name of Roberta Hestinus. And Roberta commented, goes, you know what? When God freed the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, they didn't get the promised land right away. What did they get? They got desert. And then they made a mistake at Kadesh Barnea and spent 40 years in the wilderness. But God was with them. Nine years ago in 2014, I was... uh, happily serving God at Fuller. And I had a, an annual uh, physical that you're supposed to get when you get older, and I won't tell you exactly how old I am, although you know I was around the, the 1900s. <laughs> so I went and saw my doctor, and uh, she checked me out, and uh, she said, go get some blood work done. Went down there, they drew, you know, half my blood it felt like, and then they uh, shipped it off. And then the next thing I know, I have an email with this sense of urgency from her. She says, your ferritin level is way over. I need you to see the uh, hematologist. Now, in most normal people, you have ferritin in your blood, and the range goes up to 400, whatever that number means. Mine was, uh, came in at 1,760. It was way over. And uh, spooked me. It spooked her. And so she gave me this phone number to call. And she said, you know, get an appointment with the hematologist. And so I dialed it. Good morning. John Muir, Oncology and Hematology. 
I never heard the hematology. The only thing I heard was oncology. I, I hung up right away. I thought, I've dialed the wrong number. She's given me the wrong number. I checked it out. I go, dang, it was the right number. So I called him up. And I told him my name. I said I was asked to call for an appointment to check out my ferritin level. So on a Friday and the following Monday, they uh, did a battery of tests. And then I had to wait a week till the following Monday to get the results. And what they were concerned about is they wanted to rule out cancer as the cause of the rise in the ferritin level in my life. <laughs> my wife, that was spring break for my grandkids back in Pittsburgh, PA. And so she was there all week. I was alone. And uh, it was a time in which I would go to bed like 9.30, 10 o'clock, and I would wake up at 3 o'clock uh, because I'm getting an itty-bitty bladder. And, uh, <laughs> and then I, would, uh, I, I wouldn't be able to go back to sleep. I would just toss and turn, toss and turn, toss and turn. And so finally, on Friday, I get a call from my boss in Pasadena, um, Mary Hubbard, Hubbard Givens, and uh, we were making arrangements for introducing the new uh, president of Fuller Seminary, Mark Laberton, uh, to people in Northern California. And after we were done talking about uh, what we needed to do, I said, Mary, you ought to know that there's a big question mark in my life right now. And I told her the story. She said, well, you know, we can you know, you don't have to do any of this. I said, Mary, I'm fine. Uh, I want to do this, but just pray for me. She goes, I'll pray for you right now. And so she prayed for me. And um, I thanked her, and I hung up the phone. And then I just bawled. I haven't wept that deeply or that long since I was a junior high student who started liking girls and getting rejected by every one of them. You know how that is. It was that kind of pain. Got myself back together and lo and behold, my best friend calls me on the phone later that day. And he can tell from my voice that something's wrong. He says, what's wrong? And I tell him. And he says, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that you will have sleep through the entire night and that you will rest, uh, wake up rested. I go, okay, I'll, I'll take that prayer. So he prayed for me, went to bed that night, probably 9.30 or 10, and I woke up the next morning at 7.30. I'm thinking, okay, I remember my friend Randy praying for me, and I am rested. And I'm thinking, okay, people, if you want to pray for me, keep praying for me. At the same time, I will say, I woke up with a song in my head, a melody, not the words. And I was familiar with the song, but I couldn't identify it. It's the weirdest thing. Finally, after about 15 minutes, I got up, I went to uh, my uh, computer, and I tracked it down, and I found it. It was a song called My Heart Sings Praises that basically communicated what I couldn't communicate in words. 
And it's a song that goes like this. My heart, my, my heart sings praises Each time I say your name This love is deeper Than simple words can say You go before me you make a perfect way, my one desire is to give you perfect praise. In my heart, you are the power, in my night, never-ending light. With every breath that I take, I'll declare the things you've done. In my mind, mighty overcomer, in my soul, the reason why. In my life, you are the fire that calls me on. <laughs> now the pause is for God. He's the one who gave me that song. So I found the YouTube version of it from Hillsong, Darling, Darling Shesh, and Put it on a loop. I probably for the next for the rest of the morning. I probably heard it more than sixty times that morning. At the time, I was going reading through the Bible, and that morning's text, as I'm listening to this song, is from Isaiah 38, and it said this: In those days, Hezekiah became ill was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I have heard your prayer and have seen your tears. I will add 15 years of life. I am not a name and acclaim it person. But that morning, I am naming it, and I am claiming it. <laughs> God is faithful. In the bright times when it's easy to see, but also in the dark times when it's not so easy to see. Faith is not just a one-time thing where you say yes to Jesus. Faith is... That thing where it's a way of life. You say you're going to follow Jesus wherever he goes. And as I look back in my life, I can see that God had been nudging me one way or another. 
and was with me in all those dark places. Each of you has a story that is just as relevant and important as mine. Next week, Scott's going to help you put that story together clearly so you can tell it. Because there is power in the story of how God has touched our lives. And we should not be ashamed of telling it. No one can say that's wrong because it's your story. But there's power in it. And so this morning I just told you three stories out of my life of how God has touched me. Praise be to God that I am here with you this day doing this work. And I am grateful. Thank you, God, for the amazing ways you touch us. For giving us the courage to say yes and the kind of life that you give to us. Sometimes it's good, sometimes we face challenges, and yet you are there with us. And even though we don't see it at the moment, we can see it down the road when we look back. And so, Lord, I pray for each and every person here to think back upon the ways you have touched their lives and have shaped their lives. We thank you for reaching down and touching each one of us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And the people said, Amen. Thank you for tuning into our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.